1: Welcome back to another episode of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I am the Sith Lord, Darth Amin, and that is my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, aka Anthony Mays. We're back. We're back after an all-star hiatus. Sorry, guys. It just got a little too crazy for you, boy, in the salt mines of Kessel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in the Kessel Spice Mines of Utah. That I'm back. I'm alive and I'm not enslaved, which is more than what can be said for some of the characters in episode 10 of Bad Batch. We're reviewing episodes 9 and 10 because we missed, of course, last week.
2: And because it's a two-parter.
1: Before we get into the specifics maze, once again, we are forever in this Xena warrior princess mode of storytelling where they go on an adventure and then the adventure is solved and we move on. Aww. I don't know if I'm asking for too much. I wanted to tie into something bigger. I know we got some good character development in episode nine and I guess episode 10 highlights some of that character development. But at the end of the day, it still feels like these one offs. But I'd like to just go through the gist of episode nine, then get into the deeper conversation about it. Because the gist is, Sid sends them to this planet to mine for Ipsium. Yes. Ipsium is another new Star Wars element or whatever you want to call it. It hasn't appeared anywhere else. But... Much like Rhydonium, which we've seen as starship fuel, but is also highly explosive and very dangerous. We saw that in The Mandalorian, if you remember, when they tried to infiltrate the enemy base. They had the Rhydonium on the truck and you had to be very careful because it could explode if it jostled too much. Ipsium seems to be the same kind of thing.
2: But also, I mean, mm-hmm. in Latin, ipsum is the inflection of ips, the third person singular reflexive form of a pronoun like himself, herself, itself, etc. Thus, the characters literally go into the caves to find themselves. themselves.
1: Oh, wow. That is deep, ladies and gentlemen. So they go find some ipsium. The only person small enough to crawl into the thing is Omega. Tech is obviously very worried, so he's giving her a lot of instructions, and she's getting very irritated and annoyed, and she's been lashing out at everybody. And at some point, it comes out. She's upset that Echo is not there anymore, and she's upset that nobody else seems to care. Mm -hmm. Tech just doesn't get it. She runs off to be by herself. Hunter it's trying to explain human emotions to tech, and it reminded me of Dennis from Always Sunny. Feelings. Like a 14-year-old. Having feelings again. Remember those? I have feelings every day. Tech seeks a route to apologize. And she's a little bit in a mood, but she found some more Ipsium. So she's harvesting it. And Tech is giving her all the respect that she deserves and doesn't watch over her shoulder. He says, I trust you. And of course, as soon as he trusts her, she does something dumb, like try to reach for some Ipsium that's well out of reach. She falls down. He jumps in after her. They land in this pool of water, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, someone steals their ship. His wrecker does a terrible job as a lookout but as record points out maybe shouldn't have parked it around the corner Mm. from where i can see and which by the way like i don't blame him i don't blame him that's a good comeback for having the ship get stolen right underneath your nose and we get a heart to heart between tech and omega and maze is this episode an allegory for autism whoa i did not know is it? Because Tech says, just because I process things differently does not mean I don't feel, right? Okay. And so I thought that was a wink at the camera, like, you know what we're talking about here, don't you? At the same time, we find out on a deeper level what makes Omega Omega, which is empathy. That she has empathy, she has feelings, and that this change, while inevitable, doesn't mean we should just be happy with it. Part of it is kind of accepting that it is uncomfortable and acknowledging that the loss of Echo was a big deal for her. And it should have been a big deal for all the clones, except for the fact, of course, they're soldiers. They're used to this life. They're used to losing brothers. It was kind of like a nice little everyone come to Jesus moment or come to the force moment and figure one another out. Now, Maze, Omega's empathy actually plays in a big part in the next episode. But do you have anything from episode nine that you'd like to dive into there?
2: Well, we have to talk about the Antelope Canyon. Oh! that both looked like Antelope Canyon in Arizona, but also (laughs) the Lion King moment where we get the herd of antelope-like creatures, including the ground vibrating before they come and everything like that. And yes, Omega is the heart of the Bad Batch. Without her, they wouldn't necessarily care about anything. So it's good that she's around to provide a dose of heart and empathy. She refers to the ship as their home, which is also important. They're talking about, well, we can just get another ship, and she's attached to this one.
1: These two episodes, and really this entire season, a lot of homages To other movies.
2: Oh, I can't wait to talk about the next episode. It's ridiculous.
1: Yes. The Lion King, the death of Mufasa. Every single recap video that I watched, excitedly mentioned that. Episode 10. They made it to an abandoned spaceport. They're trying to jimmy up an old speeder left there so that they can go find it. And Omega says, wait a second. Instead of trying to track the ship, why don't we try to track Gonky? Gonky! Gonky, of course, is their defective droid, but they still love him and have him around. And shout out to Ryan Airy for pointing this out. None of the clones think of Gonky as anything more than just a droid, like an appliance. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, in season one, we saw Wrecker using Gonky to do curls. He literally uses it as, as a weight for working out. Omega's the only one... Who sees Gonky as a part of the team, as a part of the family, and cares about him. And that solution, just track the droid and you'll know where the ship is, does not occur to any of the other Bad Batchers, not even Tech, who's supposed to be the smart guy, right? Mm-hmm. Because it would involve or require a level of empathy to actually care about Gonky. And that's where Omega comes in and she tracks him and she finds him. And we cut to, we find out who stole the ship. It's a kid. His name's Benny. And he drops it off in this little landing pad in a pit. Reminds me of the lower levels of Coruscant. Mm -hmm. We find out that he works for a mob boss? Slave driver? (laughs) Indentured servitude? Big fat guy. Yeah, whatever you (laughs) want to call it. His name's Mako. And Mako reminds me of Unkar Plutt. My man in Force Awakens, who is played by Simon Pegg, by the way. Did you know that? 14 credits.
2: Yeah, the guy that Ray is
1: trading scrap parts with on Jakku. Except imagine if he were the boss. And this kid, Benny, is a thief. He steals things and he brings them back and sees what they can cash in for it. And apparently, Mako has his whole system where the top earner gets a reward. So there's a lot of things going on here, Nazi. This whole thing about Benny being like a little thief among a bunch of other thieves working for a grown-up. Yes. That reminded me of Oliver Twist. The Oliver Twist
2: vibes are extremely strong. Mako runs his mind with a bunch of
1: orphans. Yep. The reward is a bowl of food. <laughs> It's too much, man. The top earner gets a bowl of food. Everyone else has to fight over that bowl over there, which harkens back, I don't know, either on purpose or maybe by accident. Reminded me of the prison in Andor, Maze. How the top earner gets to taste their food. Yeah. Which is a wild, wild premise. While the bottom earner has to get supercharged. And a little later, when we see the mining activity, when we see the devotion with which the kids... Worship Mako, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Mm -hmm. where my man who worshiped Kalima had all these little kids mining for him, mining gems and jewels. The kids were all under a trance, or I don't remember what it was, but this was their life.
0: The playoffs have started in basketball and hockey, and there's really only one way that I can enjoy it. For me, drinking Miller Lite while the action is going on makes the game that much more exciting and that much more delicious. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. So what do you look for in a light beer? Great taste or less filling? For me, it's great taste and less filling. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate, C-R-A-T-E. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.
1: Omega tracks Gonky, catches Benny, and Benny's like, why do you care about a defective droid or whatever? And she says, not to us, it isn't. And Maze, it's a callback. And this is a really cool Dave Filoni Easter egg. Dave Filoni's favorite character in all of Star Wars. Do you know what the answer to this is, Maze? I do not. Favorite character is Plo Koon. He's often joked that if he ever was going to bring back one Jedi from Order 66, who we thought was dead but isn't, it would be Plo Koon because that's his favorite. There's an episode in Clone Wars where they're in space, two clones are hanging on to Plo Koon's ship because they just escaped a huge crash or whatever, and they say, we're going to let go and basically sacrifice ourselves because we're expendable. And Plo Koon looks at him and says, not to me, you're not. And that was a very important episode because it shows that the Jedi did not see the clones as like droids, spare parts or whatever, but they saw them as people, as individuals worth fighting for and saving and caring about their survival. Fast forward, you get this line where she says, not to us he isn't, because like Plo Koon, she sees Gonky as something worthy of being saved and not just a hunk of junk. So the rest of the Bad Batch show up, they beat the kid up, I mean, there's no other way to put it. They beat his ass, man. Yeah. First of all, he tries to escape on a speeder and record clotheslines him, Raja Bell style. And then they toss him around and they tell him, hey, man, get our stuff back. So he says, okay, but obviously there's a gate shield, so we got to shut that thing off. So while the Bad Batchers are trying to recover all the stuff that's been scrapped and salvaged off the ship, like the hyperdrive and all that, Omega and Benny are going to go turn off the shield. They go to the mess hall because they need a slide card. Mm -hmm. The only people who have a key card are the inner circle of Mako. The Artful Dodger. Yes, and then we go talk to Artful Dodger, a.k.a. Drake. (laughs) We get some little exposition, small talk banter. Drake started from the bottom. Now he's the Artful Dodger. Yada, yada, yada. They get the key card. They go to the control room. While Omega's searching to turn off the controls to the gate shield, then he very quietly hits the alarm button basically sniffs them out yes he's so in on bako he's so down for the cause
2: he wants to be the top earner that's really the only thing he has going on in his life so he's still loyal to this guy because they don't know how much they're getting screwed over. Yes. We see Mako stuffing his face. Plenty of food. Before he gives one bowl of food to Drake. Yep. And that's just like Fagin and Oliver Twist. He was very wealthy off of all the thieving that he had the orphans do and he
1: didn't share any of it with them. Omega's looking for the thing. Watch the thing. She finds... All of Mako's financial records, apparently. Yeah, the bank statements. Yep. His receipts. Including a nice 1920s stock chart that shows that the going rate for Ipsium is going up, up, up. Everything on the chart showing that Ipsium, good business to be in. This dude's rich. You guys are living literally bowl to bowl. My man had no water for four rotations as he was searching for stuff. Mm -hmm. She shows it to Benny, and Benny is in shock. How could this great, big, fat man, who's clearly very well-fed, have been lying to us all this time? Unbelievable. Unfortunately, of course, he already sounded the alarm, so they come and they grab her ass, hem her ass up. The Bad Batchers, meanwhile, are found out by a couple of other little orphans who then sound the alarm. And now here we are, this big standoff or Mako, over a rope bridge, over some lava. And I said, okay, this is literally just... Temple of Doom at this point. Mm -hmm. Mako has his little orphans about to attack three grown men with guns, which, again, I thought was kind of interesting. You're lucky the Bad Batch are good people, Mako, because they could have just raised everybody down.
2: Yeah, he does say the thing, if you shoot, you could blow up the Ipsium. They say they don't miss. He's also got the droids as his henchmen as well. But, yes, they would have committed... Child genocide, orphan genocide here, no problem.
1: Nobody would miss them, Maze. Wow, that's really harsh, I mean. I mean, they're orphans. Omega would, because she's got hort. She cares. They're threatening to throw her off the thing. Here comes Benny. He's got the proof. He says, you've been screwing us over, Mako. Mako calls him a liar. But then Drake takes a look at the evidence and says, shit is true. You've been stealing from us. And Mako says, that was just my cut. (laughs) Again. Pretty good comeback.
2: Yeah, his cut was 98%. (laughs) Yeah. 98%, yo!
1: 98%, yo. And also, none of you guys would be anywhere without me. Who put this thing together? Me! Then the orphans turn on him. He tries to swing at all of them with his cane and his weird hook hand. He loses his balance. He falls. He's holding on to the rope bridge. And Benny, 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 God damn it, man. Yeah, just let it go. Let it go! Give me your hand! And Mako. Jesus, Mako, we trying to save you. And his mother's like, you know what? you coming with me. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Even as they try to show him mercy, he's still got to be a son of a bitch. Anyways, Mako loses his grip, falls much like the Kalima guy from the rope bridge. Or Mufasa. Or Mufasa, yep. Mako does. And so Omega tells Benny some inspirational shit about, I don't know, like, hey, man, you could be whatever you want. You don't have to stay here. Benny's like, yeah, well, if you need a thief, let me know. And I said, oh, he's going to be a callback at some point in the season. They're going to need a thief. And here comes Benny from his little planet to save the day.
2: Please, sir, I want some
1: more. More? That was that for those two episodes. Overall, like I said, very Xena warrior princess. They got into a jam. This one was a two-parter. Oh, no, we lost our ship, and we have to get it back. Yeah, we got to get it back. Which has extended the plot. I'm craving stuff that fits in to the larger picture. Well, luckily, I mean, Mm -hmm. next week, the Mandalorian is
2: back. So even if the Bad Batch gives us another Xena Warrior Princess episode, maybe the Mandalorian will give us a Xena Warrior Princess episode as well. Yes. And we can put them together and
1: turn it into content. Yes, two Xena Warrior Princesses for the price of one
2: before we get out of here i do want to call attention to this week's episode of poker face which is the peacock show starring natasha leone if you haven't been watching poker face you can absolutely just jump in and watch this episode you don't need to watch the first seven to get what's going on oh nice it's more or less a mystery of the week but this week's episode was really good it was called the orpheus syndrome and people out there on the interwebs, especially Joanna Robinson over at The Ringer, has pointed out some very strong similarities to Kathleen Kennedy, Phil Tippett, and the Star Wars universe because Poker Face is created by Ryan Johnson, who of course worked on The Last Jedi. And this particular episode focuses on the head of a company called Light in Motion, uh. LAM which sounds a lot like industrial light and magic ILM and a former stop motion animator played by Nick Nolte, who is modeled after Phil Tippett so much so that Phil Tippett actually worked on this episode and helped them create the stop motion animation for it.
1: Phil Tippett, of course, did the stop motion animation for empire strikes back and all this other star Wars shit.
2: And there's a lot of veiled shots at Kathleen Kennedy through this character played by Cherry Jones you wonder because ryan johnson allegedly did not write or direct or have much to do with this episode obviously he's the creator of the whole show but there's definitely a little bit of antagonism expressed towards the cherry jones character nick nolte's character is named arthur aka art so it's cherry jones versus art it was a great episode and then if you add in the star wars potential shit talking behind the scenes it makes it even better so i would recommend that
1: the funny thing is also when you take a look at cherry jones I'm not going to say she looks exactly like Kathleen Kennedy. Very similar haircut. Very similar hair, similar facial features too. So there's that. The other things that I wanted to bring up, one was Liam Neeson recently. Liam Neeson's been on a press tour. My Lord. Dude, he is working. My guy is working. (laughs) Every week there's another quote from Liam Neeson about some wild shit. Well, Liam Neeson was on Watch What Happens Live with, I believe, Paul Rudd. In it, he was asked about whether he would ever portray Qui-Gon Jinn again in Star Wars. And Maze, can you guess what his answer was? No. No, 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 no. Gone too far. So Liam Neeson basically said, no, there's so many spin-offs in Star Wars, it's diluting to me and it's taking away the mystery and the magic in a weird way.
2: This is a strange... Turn from him because he literally just showed up in Obi-Wan.
1: Though he reprised the role of Qui-Gon for the finale last year's Obi-Wan, that was enough for him. It was nice to do the little bit with Ewan after 25 years, you know. I did a TV version, appeared in the last episode, had two lines. And that was cool. I loved it. But that's it. He goes on to say... Among other things, if it was a film, yeah, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to TV, I, I must admit. I just like the big screen, you know? Qui-Gon. I can't believe it's 24 years since we made The Phantom Menace. I just cannot believe where the time has gone. So he's basically shitting on what's happened to Star Wars by virtue of flooding the market. And it goes deeper than that, Maze. Because I did some deeper digging and found that Qui-Gon was never supposed to appear in a physical form. Okay. Because Qui Gon had never completed his training. While he was able to talk, he learned the ability to speak after singularity with the Force. He never figured out the final step, which is how to perform as a Force ghost. That's something that you had to learn. There's a deleted scene in Revenge of the Sith where he tells Yoda about this skill the ability to talk from the beyond and Yoda then takes it upon himself to learn the further steps of becoming a force ghost. That's why there's a line at the end of revenge of the Sith that seems like very haphazardly included where he tells Obi-Wan, I have many trainings for you. Qui-Gon has spoken to us from the beyond or whatever. It seemed like so out of place, like what? But it's because there's a deleted scene where Qui-Gon has done this and talked to Yoda while he was meditating Add that to another reason why Obi-Wan sucked dick. Because <laughs> they took something that was an actual specific plot line. Qui-Gon does not know how to do this. And said, wouldn't well, it be cool? And Qui-Gon showed up at the end. The good him just talked to him. But no, they wanted to say, and we had Liam Neeson there. Strike a million for Kathleen Kennedy. But Maze, there's more. A lot of people don't know this. I'm on TikTok. I don't create a lot on TikTok. But I do like to search and find little Star Wars stuff, either people explaining things from canon or from legends, or sometimes it's these little interview clips. And one such interview clip was one of Dave Filoni explaining a deleted episode of The Clone Wars that never amounted to anything. It never got made. It got up to the storyboard stage, but not actually fully animated, right? And so they talk about the episode about Mortis, which is where they go to find like these ancient beings that are wise with the force. And it's the father, the son, and the daughter. The father represents balance. The daughter represents the light side of the force and the son represents the dark side of the force. And the son speaks to the force ghosts of Darth Revan and Darth Bane. Darth Bane, of course, is the creator of the rule of two. They have this whole conversation about how Anakin is the chosen one, and he's the one that's going to help a Sith Lord rule everything. It's got a lot of foreshadowing and all that. And they really loved it. They were really excited about it. Dave Filoni talks about he went home and he thought about it. And he said, while this is a really cool storyline, it's kind of not true to the canon of the Force. And he says, either the next day or a couple of days later, he gets a call from George Lucas And George says the same thing, like, yeah, this is really cool, but I don't think we should do it Mm -hmm. because it is contradictory to the way I've described and what I've thought of the Force all along. Namely, the idea that the ability to commune with the Force and indeed be able to exist from the beyond is a light side property. It's not something that dark side users can do. The relationship that dark side users have with the Force is one of anger and passion Whereas Lightside users is all about tranquility and being one with the Force. So it doesn't make sense that Darth Bane or Darth Revan would be able to communicate as Force Ghosts to the Sun. And that's why it was scrapped. Despite it being a cool idea that everybody in the room, including George Lucas, liked, they held themselves accountable, Maze, mm-hmm. and said, no, even though it's cool, it doesn't fit, it doesn't make sense. And thus, we can't air it. Hmm. Would be nice if someone felt that way over there right now. Wouldn't it be nice? And that's going to do it for us for this week's episode of Rule of Two. As Maze pointed out, next week, Mandalorian Season 3 Episode 1 premieres. Probably going to be a two-quarter.
2: No, it's actually, the runtime is out and it's very short. It's 35 minutes.
1: Well, there it is. Wednesday, March 1st. So by Friday, you'll get your great recap of not only Bad Batch, but also Mandalorian. We're doing it all, all at once, because why the hell not? Until next time, well, this is a massive waste of time, or whatever it is Wrecker said. <laughs> Which, by the way, was also pretty meta line. I was like, uh oh, ah. sure is Wrecker. Let's see you, Wrecker.
0: The started in basketball and hockey and there's really only one way that I can enjoy it. For me, drinking Miller Lite while the action is going on makes the game that much more exciting and that much more delicious. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975 and we still haven't settled it. So what do you look for in a light beer? Great taste or less filling? For me, it's great taste and less filling. Miller Lite keeps it simple undebatable quality great taste and only 96 calories it's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most a light beer that tastes like beer you don't have to choose what's best miller Lite has great taste and is less filling tastes like miller time to get miller Lite delivered right at your door visit millerlitecom slash crate c-r-a-t-e or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer celebrate responsibly miller brewing company milwaukee wisconsin 96 calories per 12 ounces fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer